all mic'd up. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and pray. You know, we move from a spirit of worship and kind of our, our hearts are just being tenderized for the word of God. And then just out of necessity, we have to have announcements. <laughs> it's just logistically necessity, a necessity, but it always feels like it kind of dampens the worshipful spirit as we go into the message. So let's pray and just get back into that heart. Lord, we come before you this morning and we thank you for all that you're doing, all that you've done this weekend. God, it's, it's so unfathomable, your love. It, it, it's so beyond our understanding, Lord, but it's right for us to spend this time pursuing it and discussing it and thinking on it, Lord. Give us new insights as much as our feeble minds and hearts can contain, Lord. Give us new insights into your love and how your love can control and transform us, Lord, how, how, it, how it, it looks lived out in our lives, Lord. Holy Spirit, move among us as we study your word and as we talk about your love. In Jesus' name, amen. So, you know, it, in this whole theme of the retreat and discussing the love of Christ, it, it's, it's really so mind-boggling because it is, it is so immense. You know, it really is, I believe, the most powerful thing in existence. Not just in this world and in this universe. The love of Christ is the most powerful force in existence and it's available to us in such abundance. And so it's right for us to spend time talking about it and pursuing it and, and just trying to peel back a little bit more. It's probably going to be something that hopefully all of us do for the rest of our lives, all of us pursue for the rest of our lives. And the good thing is, is Christ, Jesus has made it available. I mean, it's, it's so immense that you can spend a lifetime, a hundred years digging deeper and deeper and deeper and never even get close to the bottom of it. But yet it's so available and so simple that even our young children can just peel back a little layer and experience the love of Christ. So let me start with this. You know where most famous verse in the Bible. We see it all over. If you ever go to a sporting event, you see somebody holding up a sign. What is it? John 3.16. Why don't we go ahead and quote John 3.16? Yes, that's right. So we all know that verse. I mean... The whole world seems like they know that verse. That, that's, that's the main verse. And it's, it's right that's the main verse, but we got to be careful it's not too familiar to us. So let's just dwell for a moment at the beginning there. So, for God so loved the world. God's love for the world, God's love for us caused him to do something. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave. Our God loved us so much that he gave. And not just anything, not just a little bit, but he gave everything. He, he gave his own son. He gave his own life so that we could have eternal life. And it's amazing, you know, when you put it in context of especially like culture at this time and you, you, you look at the different religions going on at this time and how much importance was put on people giving 
to gods. I, I've got to give something to my gods so that, that I can appease them, so that they'll show me favor. I've got to give something to this God so that they will show me favor in this area. I've got to give something to this God so that my crop will be fruitful or so that I can have more children. Or, and, 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 you know, you have people with this idea of what can we give to, to uh, pacify and placate all the gods. And then we look at, we look at God and it says he gave. He loved the world so much that, that he gave. And the reason for this is, is simple, right? Paul lays it out very clear in Romans. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. God can't just overlook. And we might think like, okay, well, why do the wages of sin have to be death? And if I really examine my heart, I know that all have sinned. I, I know I'm not perfect. But, but can't God just overlook that sin? Can't God just over... Why does, why does he have to give his son? Why can't he just... Why are the wages of sin death? Well, would you just drop a little bit of poison, a drop of poison into a bucket of water and say, just a little bit of poison, it's okay. We can still serve it with the refreshments. No, I mean, that little bit of sin is enough to completely taint the holiness of God. There's no way he's going to allow that into his presence. The wages of sin is death. We all have sinned. So what does he do? God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that the wages of sin, that death does not fall on us. It fell on his son. That love is powerful. I'm sorry, you guys, it's baking up here in the sun. So bear with me to And you see my shirt, hashtag Jesus greater than? The, the, the point of this, you know, this is the mathematical symbol of greater than. I need to be able to stand next to anything in my life. Can I stand next to my career and put it on this side and know that, okay, Jesus is greater than my career. Can I stand next to my car? Jesus is greater than my car. Can I stand next to my house? Jesus is greater than my house. Can I stand next to my wife and legitimately say Jesus is greater than my wife? Yes, I can. In fact, the whole success of my marriage is dependent on the fact that Jesus is greater than my wife because the more Jesus is greater than in my life than my wife. The more Jesus' love controls my life, the more I'm going to be able to love my wife with not Bobby's love, but the love of Christ. And likewise, can she stand next to me and say, yeah, Jesus is greater than my husband in my life. And the more I draw near to Jesus, the more my relationship with my husband is going to flourish. So I didn't mean to go into that, but I realized I was wearing my, my hashtag Jesus greater than shirt. Um, but for God so loved the world that he gave. You know, I think about the, uh, the other verse we read all the time in, in uh, Christmas time, you know. Isaiah 9 where it says, uh, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And it's important for us to remember that the child was born. The little baby was born, right? The son wasn't born. The son existed eternally. The son was given. The son was a, a gift in Philippians 2. Am I doing all right? You look like you're not even breaking a sweat. 
Philippians 2, Paul writes that Jesus, although he existed in the form of God, did not uh, uh, expect uh, or did not grasp equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a, a bondservant. And even death, even death on a cross, he took it so far. So we get this picture of the love of Christ led him to not just die on the cross, but even before that, the love of Christ caused him to become a man, to be born as that little baby. He existed with the Father for eternity before that. He had to become vulnerable to be born as a little baby. His love made him do that. His love made him go and give up his life for us. His love made him do the worst possible death, death on a cross. It's amazing to focus on this love. And let's, let's continue a little further in Romans 5. Romans 5, starting in verse 6. It's an accurate picture of where we are and what Christ did for us. I was supposed to set the timer when I started because uh, of the announcement that Mike made. We're, we're definitely on a timeline here. It says in verse 6, For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Let me read this from the message. I know there's probably not a message in Spanish, so you just try to translate. But I like how, uh, I like how this reads in the message translation. It says it this way, Christ arrives right on time to make this happen. He didn't and doesn't wait for us to get ready. He presented himself for this sacrificial death when we were far too weak and rebellious to do anything to get ourselves ready. And even if we hadn't been so weak, we wouldn't have known what to do anyway. It's really really right you know while while we were still helpless christ died for the ungodly and you get this picture all of us can feel this sense of whatever patriotism or brotherly uh uh camaraderie maybe for a righteous man someone would dare to even die okay yeah like yeah i'd die for my brother or die for my family yeah for a good person i i'd lay down my life but for someone i don't like I don't think so. I'd rather just keep going. But Christ demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, while we were helpless, Christ died for the ungodly. Continuing on there in verse 9, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more Having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. We get another glimpse into the depth of this love that not only were we helpless and dead in our sin, we're described as enemies of God. The Bible describes our way, describes our way of life as hostile 
to God. That's the position that we're in. When Christ died for, for us, for this world, that's the condition. Helpless, dead in their trespasses and sin. Enemies of God, hostile to the ways of God. And Jesus steps in and says, I don't care. I love you so much. I'm going to reach you in that place. That's where I'm going to reach you. In James 4, talks about, don't you know? He says, you're, you're, you're like adulteresses. You've got this friendship with the world, and not meaning the world, like, I mean, we're supposed to reach the world, right? But you've got this friendship with the world, meaning you love the ways of the world. You love the sins. You love the, the pride and the lust and the anger and the jealousy and all the... You thrive on those things, the greed and all of it. But yet, you, you still say you want to love God. And you, you really like adulteresses. And it says, don't you know that that kind of friendship with the world is hostility towards God? And that's, that's, that's the position we're in when God reaches us. You know, you hear people sometimes say things like, oh, I can't go to church. You know, if, you know the things I've done. You, you wouldn't even invite me to church. You know, if, if I went to church, lightning would strike the place. You know, people somehow have this idea that you've got to get your life together in order to go to God when the exact opposite is true. You've got to go to God to get your life together. You've got to experience the love of Christ, to be able to be transformed, to begin to be transformed by that love. The world needs to know that. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 2. We go from that state, helpless, dead in our sins, enemies of God, hostiles to, hostile to the way of God, and then the love of Christ brings us to this place. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lust, which wage war against the soul. We once were all those things. We once were not a people of God. We had not received mercy. Now we are the people of God. Now we are a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people for God's own possession. The love of Christ did that. I want to go through a couple of uh, brief stories to just try to illustrate a little more for us. Uh, interesting story in the Old Testament. You know, the uh, Israelites early on decided, we want a king. All the other nations have a king. Why can't we have a king? We want a king. And even though they had God as their king, they wanted a, a human king. And so they picked Saul. And God said, okay, 
Saul was anointed as king. But shortly after that, God chose David to be king. And it, it started to become evident pretty early on that David had some qualities that were very noble, very honoring to God. And he began to get attention. And this drove King Saul crazy, right? Just completely jealous that David was suddenly getting more attention than him. And so even though David and Saul had this close relationship, David would play music and psalms to, to King Saul. King Saul went crazy and tried to kill David. And David's on the run, right? For, for over 13 years, David is on the run. King Saul is chasing him, trying to kill him, chasing him through his de the desert, making his life just, just miserable, as miserable as could be. And this is David, who's later to become king, and he's just being hunted like an animal through the desert by King Saul. Well, finally, King Saul is killed in battle. He actually uh, tries to kill himself but fails and has a servant finish the job. King Saul is, is killed. And in a, in a mad rush, his son Jonathan was killed also. And in a mad rush, Jonathan had this, this son and the, the servant grabbed the young son to try to flee and ran. And as she was running, she fell and Jonathan's son was badly injured. In fact, he was crippled in, in both legs, it said. He disappears, lives on. David becomes king, ruling the nation. And after some time passes, David wonders, I wonder, is there anyone left from the line of Saul? And you would think in this world, the king would be wondering, is there anyone left from that other kingly line so that I could wipe him out? I, I need to kill him. You know, that's what you do. There's someone else who has a legitimate bloodline to the throne. Kill him. And not only that, but Saul was my enemy. He tried to kill me. And even David, when he had a chance to kill Saul and end the whole thing, he didn't. And when he went to Saul and said, look, I could have killed you in the cave that night. Leave me alone. And Saul kept pursuing him. David could have been like, I want to wipe out this other kingly bloodline. Not only that, it's the bloodline of my enemy. I want to wipe it all out. No, David says, is there anyone left from the line of Saul that I can show the kindness of God to? And uh, they bring in a servant and says, actually, there is this one man. His name is Mephibosheth. <laughs> Good, it's good. His name was Mephibosheth. And a servant came and said, well, there's this Mephibosheth. He was Jonathan's son. He lives in the land of Lodabar. Lodabar literally means land of nothing. And so this crippled son that lives in the land of nothing, who was the, the ancestor of your enemy Saul, he's still around. So David says, bring him to me. And they bring Mephibosheth before the king and he prostrates himself to the ground because he doesn't know what's going on. I'm about to lose my life, I'm sure he's thinking. I'm, I'm done. I'm over. Let's turn back to 2 Samuel and look at this part. 
2 Samuel 9. Second Samuel 9, we'll start in verse 7. Mephibosheth prostrates himself on the ground. Like, oh, please, king, just have mercy. Spare my life. In verse 7, David said to him, Do not fear, for I, I will surely show kindness to you for the sake of your father, Jonathan, and will restore to you all the land of your grandfather, Saul, and you shall... Eat at my table regularly. Then again, Mephibosheth prostrated himself before the king and said, What is your servant that you should regard a dead dog like me? He knows his position is lowly. He's got nothing to offer. He's a cripple from the land of nothing. There's no benefit whatsoever for King David to show kindness to Mephibosheth. In fact, the opposite. He really could be viewed as an enemy and taken out. Instead, King David, who is described as a man after God's own heart, shows kindness to him. He says, no, 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 no. I'm going to raise you up. I'm going to give you back all the lands of your grandfather Saul, my enemy, the one who tried to kill me. And not only that, you're going to dwell in my house. You're going to eat at my table. And he calls and he puts robes on his back. And that's, that's what happened. Mephibosheth lived in that way because of that kindness of the king, which is a small picture of the love of Christ. A small picture of the love of God. Fast forward. Jesus tells this story. It was a rich man. He has two sons. One of the sons comes to him one day and says, Father, listen, I love you and all, but I don't want to be here anymore. I don't want to be under your roof. I don't want to be under your rule. I don't want to live this life anymore. Divide your wealth. He was wealthy. So divide your wealth and give me my portion. So the father does. He divides his wealth and he gives a portion of it to the son. And a couple days later, he takes off to a distant country. And there, in very short time, he squandered all of that inheritance with loose and riotous living, the scriptures say. You, you can imagine in your own mind what, what that loose and riotous living must have lived like, looked like, right? As he wasted his inheritance. Suddenly a famine comes on the land and he's hungry. He's got nothing. So he's like, I, I better get a job. So he hires himself out. He's doing work for this guy. Suddenly this guy says, hey, listen, today I need you to go out into the fields and feed the swine, the pigs. This is a Jew, right? This is Jesus telling this story to a bunch of Jews. This is as low as you could get. Go feed the swine? The pigs? Dang. So he does, he's out there, and suddenly he realizes one day, like, I am so stinking hungry, I even want to eat this slop that I'm feeding these pigs. And he came to his senses, and he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go back to my father's house, because even there, even my father's servants, even the lowliest of the servants in my father's house is clothed well and has enough food to eat, so I'm going to go back. 
And I'm going to say to my father, and he worked up the conversation, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please hire me back as one of your servants. And so he sets off. And he's heading back home, probably rehearsing his speech, dreading this moment, but probably excited that, oh, goodness, at least I'm going to finally get a good meal. And Jesus says, while he's still off, the father saw him coming, recognized him. And he runs out there to greet him. And the son gives a speech, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against earth. I've no, and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please hire me as one of your servants. The father didn't hear any of it. He grabbed him. He hugged him. He embraced him. He called to the servants. He said, my son's back. Bring robes and put them on his back. Bring new sandals, put them on his feet. Put rings on his finger. Kill the fatted calf, we're going to have a feast. My son was lost and now he's found. My son was dead, but now he's alive again. That's a picture of the love of Christ. The son didn't deserve it. The son did everything wrong. Not only did he do everything wrong, he did everything wrong against his father. It was his father's wealthy ways. That was his father. He essentially spit in his face. Give me your money. I'm gone. Father didn't care. That's the love of Christ. I wonder if you see this in your own life. I see it in mine. You know, once upon a time, I was... 18, 19, 20 years old. I was an enemy of God. I grew up in the church. I knew who Jesus was. I knew the stories. When I was 18 years old, I was sentenced to three months in jail. I spent three months in jail. And during that time, I thought, okay, I need to know the truth. My parents kind of raised me in the church, but I want to know is, is the Bible for real or is Christianity just another religion among the many? I need to know. So I began to dive in. That whole three months, I occupied my time just diving into any kind of religious text I could find, any kind of, of spiritual books, philosophy, atheism. All, I just poured into it. And at the same time, I decided I'm going to read the Bible at the same time. And the more I did, everything else I read fell shallow. And the Bible just seemed like it was coming alive. The words were jumping off the page into my heart and touching me. And I left jail knowing that Jesus is God and he died for my sins and I should serve him. But you know what? I didn't. I was free and I wanted to take my inheritance and go and squander it on loose and riotous living. And that's what I did. And even though I knew what God's purpose was, and I knew what God's will was for my life every morning. First thing I did in the morning was sin. Wake up, get high. Go out, meet my friends, sell some drugs, get high again. Stay high all day. Meet up later with my friends, decide, okay, where are we going to go party tonight? Let's go party and see what happens. Maybe, of course, we'll get drunk, and who knows, maybe we'll pick up some chicks. Maybe we'll find some guys to get in a fight with, you know, just... Weird desire for violence. Maybe along the way we need something, need a new pair of sunglasses. Hey, let's stop at the store. We'll just steal it. We'll take it. That's a lifestyle that's hostile to God. That's hostility 
to God. That's a lifestyle that's an enemy of God, even though I knew what God's purposes was, were. And then, believe it or not, I, I still kind of had this desire and this hunger for God's word and to know God more, and I kept kind of pursuing that. And suddenly, somebody invited me to this church retreat with this Emmanuel Fellowship. And I was like, oh, geez, whatever. I, I probably could use a little spiritual retreat, so I went. It was that... Uh, Snowy Mountain Ranch. Snow Mountain Ranch. Uh, and you know what? God, God started tugging on my heart stronger than ever. It, it, it was Romans 5, what we just read. While we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Jesus, even though I was an enemy, I was hostile to God at that time. God was tugging, tugging, tugging. I left, and for a while I continued in that, in that lifestyle, but it, it became harder and harder and harder to live that life. And suddenly, kind of like this prodigal son, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back to my father's house, say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. Please take me back as one of your servants. And I did. One night I cried out to God, I got it. I can't do this. I want to live for you. I know you want me. I want to live for you. I can't do it. Please empower me to live for you if this is what you want. And God did. Poured a spirit out on me that night. It was an amazing spiritual, emotional experience. And uh, sinned a lot since then. But I've been growing. The love of Christ transforms us. In Corinthians it says, from, from one glorious stage to the next. From glory to glory glory. The love of Christ does that. But we've got to put ourselves in that place where, okay, God, I, I don't want to live this life of hostility to you anymore. I don't want to be your enemy. You said you love the world so much that you gave. God, I want that. And when we get to that place and the love of Christ begins being poured out in our lives, we see change. We see, see transformation. It begins to control us. One last thing I want to point out in talking about the love of Christ, and it really affects my thinking. I don't know. I feel like, I feel like it should affect our thinking, but it's a great example. After Jesus told that story, you know, continued on his ministry, eventually he's arrested. Never did anything wrong, but he's arrested. Falsely tried, beaten, flogged mocked, abused, made to carry his cross, nailed to that cross. You know, when you're on the cross, you die. What you do is you, you die of asphyxiation. You can't, you can't breathe. And so that's, that's, it, it would make it just a slow, painful death. Besides all the pain going through your body, you just could never get enough air. You'd have to push yourself up on the nail just to get enough air to fill your lungs. And it took hours to die. It was, it was torturous. That was the state Jesus is in. And then we have these few recorded uh, things that Jesus said while dying on the cross. It wasn't much. You can't say much. But it really hits me, the things he did while dying on the cross. The first thing, he looks down and he sees uh, Mary, you know, his, his mother. 
And he sees his disciple, John. And he says, uh, John, behold your mother. Woman, behold your son. Making sure, hey, John, take care of my mom. Make sure she's well taken care of. She's your responsibility now. So Jesus dying on the cross wants to make sure his mom is taken care of. It's understandable, right? I think probably any one of us would have that same sentiment. Then the next thing that happens, there's two criminals on the cross next to Jesus. And one of them's mocking, right? Saying, come on, you're the son of God. You saved others. Why can't you save yourself now and save us, huh? And the criminal on the other side says, hey, shut up, man. We, we deserve what we're getting. This is the just punishment for what we've done. This man doesn't deserve it. And he looks and he says, Jesus, remember me today when you enter your kingdom. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth today, you're going to be with me in paradise. So now we see Jesus dying on the cross, first making sure his mother's taken care of. All of us can relate to that. Any one of us would, yeah, take care of my mom. Now all of a sudden, he's promising a criminal next to him eternal life. A criminal? Really? Jesus, do you think the criminal deserves eternal life? Well, no, but neither did you. Neither, neither does anyone. That's not the point. It's the love of God. So yeah, all of a sudden the criminal gets promised eternal life while Jesus struggles for breath, dying on the cross. The next thing he says, we suddenly hear him cry out for no reason, out of the blue, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Forgive them, the ones that falsely arrested him. The ones that just beat him to a bloody pulp. The ones who flogged him. The soldiers that just nailed him to the cross spit in his face and he cries out father forgive them they don't know what they're doing so we have three things Jesus did on the cross and they all have to do with his love reaching out and helping others from his mother to the criminal to everybody else who just put him in that place and not only that put yourself there father they give them forgive them they don't know what they're doing you know, it was just as much our sin that nailed those spikes into his hands as anyone else's. He had to die that death to pay the price for our sins, right? We were included in that, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That was the love of Christ. Now, the reason this is so important for us to spend this time talking about the love of Christ and trying to understand further the love of Christ is... Like I said at the beginning, it's the most powerful force in all of existence, and yet it is completely opposite of what our nature is. Our nature is the exact opposite. Example, Jesus points this out to his disciples, and he says, you know, if, if all you do is love those who love you, what good is that? Everybody does that, right? Roman said, well, maybe someone would even die for a righteous man, but for an unrighteous man? Jesus said, you know what? It's natural for you to love those that love you, love those that can do something for you. But he says, I'm telling you to love your enemy. That's not natural. I don't honestly like hearing that. I don't even want to hear that. Like, in my natural mind, not everyone deserves love. Like, God, do you know what that guy did? You want me to love that guy? 
Why, Lord? He doesn't deserve it. Because I told you to. Because that's how big my love is. That's how great my love is. That's how powerful my love is. Jesus said, go another mile. At the time, a Roman soldier could grab a Jew and make him carry his gear a mile. Really, he could have made him carry it longer, but the Romans had this thing. They, they, tried to be, uh, uh, they tried to rule their subjects in a way to not cause more rebellion. You know, they'd give them a little bit of rope so that they would not get too much of an uprising. You know, so why they cut it off at a mile, I don't know. But could you imagine being a Jew and your oppressors coming up and grabbing you and saying, hey, jerk, carry my bag a mile. Could you imagine the hatred that would build up in you, the bitterness? Jesus says, hey, next time that happens, when you get to the end of the mile, go another one. That's not natural for us. That's the opposite of what we do. But the love of Christ says, that's what you need to get to. That's where you need to go. Someone slaps you on the cheek, turn the other cheek. Is that natural for any of you? Guys, all the guys in here, what's natural? Somebody slaps you on the cheek, you have an instant to make a quick evaluation, right? Someone hits me on the cheek, I'm evaluating. Is this dude better than me? And is this going to get worse for me? Or am I better than this dude? And most of the time, because of my pride and my stupidity, I'm the better dude and I'm coming after him. That's natural, right? Jesus, no. Turn the other cheek. Take him out to lunch. Buy him some soup. He says, if someone comes and asks you for your coat, give him your shirt also. It's not natural. We need to let the love of Christ begin to control us, begin to transform us. Because you know what? While Jesus is on the cross praying, God, forgive the ones that are killing me, guy cuts me off on the highway and I want to damn his soul to hell, you know? You stupid jerk, what in the world's wrong? And God just cut me off on the highway. Where's the love of Christ in my life? We need to focus on it more. We need to let it get inside of us, immerse ourselves in it. Let it begin to control us and transform us the way we think, the way we see people, the way we see our enemies. Amen? Let's end there for the sake of time. Lord, we thank you so much for this weekend. Thank you that you are ministering to people's hearts and minds right now. As we uh, end here and we clean up and we hit the road and have lunch, Lord, let this not be uh, things that just an emotional weekend, an emotional time in God's word, but Lord, something that we would leave and we would ponder and we would ponder and we would ponder. God, that your word would just resonate around and around and around and around in our hearts and our soul. Lord, we want to be controlled by your love. In Jesus' name, amen.